0: Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. I am thrilled to have Roger Bennett here. You know Roger. I mean, honestly, you could know him from so many different things because the fucker is so damned uh, successful and amazing uh, and entertaining that there's no doubt you've run across him. Uh, Men in Blazers, probably that for which he is most well-known, even if you're not someone who loves that kind of football soccer to me and you uh and his new book reborn in the usa comes out june 29th is an is an excellent excellent memoir as malkovich might have said it in a coen brothers movie uh and it uh describes his fascination with american culture growing up jewish in liverpool in the 80s and we're going to talk about that and a whole bunch of stuff roger's also a pal and um a fellow enthusiast for so many of the things about which I am enthusiastic. <laughs> I am also really happy to have someone who's such a veteran on the mic. So basically he can just monologue and I can uh, nod along and smile. Raj, thanks for being here, man.
1: Oh, Brian Koppelman. I'm here only to keep my campaign going for you to have a Lonnie Watley billion spin spin-off.
0: I mean, you'd have had more credibility with making billion success, uh, a billion suggestions if you hadn't hosted that fucking Succession show, my man. <laughs> I, I mean, yes, oh. me, me for a blurb for your book. I didn't see all the Succession guys' names on there.
1: Oh, Because when I started my book, the last person I spoke to before I put pen to paper... didn't actually use a pen i really used a quill and did it old style old school style was you you, brian Copperman, you sat me down in a restaurant and told me i I was worried about structure i was worried about writing a structure that could be televisual i had all these questions and you just like no 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 just write what you feel Write what you know. It was like sitting down with the Brian Copperman of the old vines where he used to give advice to young writers. Write a draft, even if it's bad. Keep going on. No one will believe in you. I believe in you. Those kind of things. And it was, uh, it, was, it was everything I needed to make this book, which is a love letter to America to make it go.
0: Yeah, that was a capital dinner, man. I loved that night because I could see you were ready to write the book. You know, one-on-one like that, it's possible. I would have said something else. But I could actually see, you no, know, you know, if I, but I could actually see you were really ready to write this book, and and you were just putting up defenses to protect yourself against failure, and that was the only thing, and so it was it was quite simple to look in your eyes and see, oh, Raj has written before, but because you know so many, but but because this was personal, he's scared, and so the only job there is to basically say to you, buddy, get that shit out of the way and just you know just do your thing. Oh,
1: and, a Kaufman don't take away my fear of failure it's all I have 97% as a, as a Jewish guy from England I have a double double portion of self-loathing don't take away my fear of failure
0: see but I the thing I admire and as much as you love our country and I love our country what I so admire about people in your country is uh just in the face of whatever they're feeling they just carry the fuck on we whine and y'all don't whine, y'all just, whatever you feel internally, now granted, it may eat you from the inside, but we whine and complain, and you guys just go, and move forward despite it, and I have to say, it's admirable, and I wish we, I wish I had more of that. (laughs) There's a name for it, Brian.
1: It's called repression, and we do it very, very well. (laughs) I I, I was leaving university, and I wanted to do a master's. Mostly, if I am being honest, I can say this now because I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. And my father, God bless him, when I came home with all kinds of master's ideas, he just said, Roger, don't you think a man can think too much in life? There's a point in time when a man should just do. And he cut me off in that moment, and, and I had to really swim on my own. And it is, it's uh, something I write about in my book, this book, which is really about growing up in Liverpool in the 1980s, the greatest city in the world, but one which uh, under Thatcher, when the South rose in England and the North really crumbled, uh, lost its way, kind of became, as the empire uh, faded, a poor city without any meaning, a bit like Baltimore without the, the crab cake upside. And Liverpool had music and it had football, but you could stand on a street corner there and really believe that you were seeing the city crumble before your eyes. High In- rel-
0: Incidentally, folks, the crab cake upside is the Spin Doctor's cover band that Roger and I have together
1: we play bar we think we do, we do.
0: <laughs> we're, gonna, we're gonna harmonize before the end of this but well, the- if you should hear us do two princes together Roger <laughs> plays that bass line like a champ in our band Crab yeah. Cake Upside yeah I've and- always, I always want to sing more
1: but Koppelman just
0: makes me stand on the corner of yeah, the stage yeah just play play the fucking bass guitar Raj and just yeah. try to keep time with the drummer if it's at all possible oh you're so demanding. Please.
1: I am the Lesh. I am
0: the Lesh of, uh, of Crab Cake Upside. Hey, here's the thing about Lesh, and then Go we'll on. get right back to the book. The fact, how, how great is this? Who else in history sings one lead vocal of one song he writes, and it's fucking Box of Rain? That's Phil Lesh. Phil Lesh sings Box of Rain, one of the top four Grateful Dead songs and he just like steps in, sings the one, and it's capital. It's maybe the best grateful dead song. Which arguably arguably
1: my my brain immediately goes to Blur and Coffee and TV, which um, is still one of the most iconic ones where Damon seeds the mic yeah. to old Cox. But those are the moments that we live for with our cover band. And your point your your point about England is, is was rooted in my youth where English television and I write about this in the book. You know, the, the big, big shows on English television in the 80s were EastEnders, Brookside and Coronation Street. One was about a soap opera of working class misery in London. One was a soap opera about working class misery in Liverpool. And another was about working class misery in Manchester. And the, the, the overlapping centre of each show essentially said to the audience, and it was massive, everybody watched. One of the three was, you think your life's miserable You think your life's a failure? Have a look at these lives. They are terrible, so shut up and just get on with whatever the hell you're doing. And that was English television. It was vicarious uh, visitation of other people's misery to make yourself feel better. And then into that milieu crashed American television. You know, proto-billion shows, essentially. Dallas, Dynasty, Dynasty, Knotts Landing, and the centre of those shows, it was like nothing we had ever seen. These were shows where the life problems, Brian, and Billions, not too dissimilar, is where your life is challenging because you have so bloody much money, so many oil wells, so many fur coats, so many diamonds, you don't know what to spend it on. And when we watch that show... And everything that followed, because it lots followed, Heart to Heart, Fantasy Island, The Love Boat, Miami, Bloody Vice, life-changing. When you watch that from the point of view of 1980s England, you felt emotions you had never felt before about life, like aspiration, ideas, my life could possibly be better, take control, stay in charge. And that is essentially you, what you admire about England, the repression, that's the... You would have been watching Coronation Street, Brookside, and EastEnders a lot, I imagine. English, English, Brian would have. Watched I mean, I was listening
0: to a lot of. Obviously, I was listening to a lot of music that emanated from Britain, and like you know, I remember when I first heard Billy Bragg, who I think gave voice to this stuff better than anybody. When and I know what Tracy means to you and we can discuss it, but for me, when I tra- first heard Billy tra- Bragg.
1: Tra- can I just make it clear to listeners, Tracy Chapman? Many of your listeners are like Tracy Austin. Was she that big? Was she that big? Tracy Austin was big. Great champion, he, a great Chapman.
0: champion, by the way, Tracy Austin. Don't take uh, anything away from Tracy not Austin knocking, winning, never winning, winning the, the US Austin. Open that young. But 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 Billy Bragg for me, and, and there is a you know, to me, the way Billy Bragg sang about the, what it was to feel that you weren't allowed hopes and dreams, right? Those shows that you're talking about in America were about this idea that Americans felt their birthright was not only all these creature comforts, but was to dream of something better. And Billy Bragg was always talking, and not later than Costello. I'm talking specifically about Billy Bragg, about this era you're discussing as a child, which was he would sing about, well, what happens when you're told that even to dream these things is only going to lead to crushing disappointment and you have no business having these dreams. Yeah, I would love, I
1: mean, I adore Billy Bragg. I have so many responses to that point and I Respond. I, w- I would love to sit down with Billy Bragg and watch the first episode of Miami Vice where,
0: <laughs> you know,
1: our guys are in a car They are going to the bizarre zone of Miami that seems to be zoned purely for drug deals gone wrong. And they are, what are they, in a spider or something? And the silence and in the air tonight kicks in and it's a four and a half minute segment, essentially a pop video before we had pop videos. but A a song broken only by the the sound of Tubbs loading his, his pump action shotgun. And then they stop, they pull over, Um, By a phone booth, which is beautifully illuminated in the middle of nowhere, and uh, and Crockett, he knows, he knows he's possibly going to his doom. Possibly, this is one of the big. He's saving the world from. Uh, f- from human darkness, and what does he do? I mean, first of all, Kevlar. No, you stick with your singular style. You wear your pastels. You wear your T-shirt under your jacket, sleeves rolled up, and the spadriels, no socks. But he, <laughs> but he, he calls his former wife, and he just before his mind's on it, he, t- he checks in with the Collins. The mix goes down just for a minute, and then he said they essentially they interchange, and they he says to his former wife, he says, "Was it real what we shared?" And she says, yes, of course it was. And then Crockett just holds the phone with his jagged jaw and hangs up but moodily in the way you only do in movies because it only works if someone's actually watching you uh, hang up moodily. And then the Collins drum fill fills in and uh, they speed off. There's just dust by the phone booth. Brian, and the dust shows time to push out those emotions about love. There is work to be done. And in that show... I mean, first of all, at a very base level, I remember watching that in England when it crashed into our shores about seven months after it aired here, because everything yeah. came out on delay much later. And um, and I remember my first response was, bloody hell, number one, what is that color? Teal. It's not even been invented here in England yet. And Hilarious. number two, you watch it and you're like, that is a singular style. A man of singular style who stick you know when uh, when you are different to everyone around you just stick to it and everything's going to be okay. I would love to watch that with Bragg and I think he would understand that even though ultimately after about season 4 or 5 when Don Johnson's hair had got blonder with every iteration, the show arguably lost its way. But those first couple of series Oh, for many of us that watched them, well, what do you
0: think Billy Bragg would make of that when you say you wish you could watch it with Bragg? Why?
1: I think Bragg would say... He wasn't like big a, on conspicuous consumption, my Yeah, man. but I will say, nor, nor arguably was Crockett lived on a houseboat <laughs> with, a, with an alligator named Elvis. And I remember when my... I was about 14 when it came out, and my careers officer made us all fill in a form saying, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I remember because Crockett lived on a houseboat uh, with an alligator named Elvis, I just wrote that into the space. I would like to live on a houseboat off Miami with a alligator named Elvis. But also in your question, is something fascinating that I've learned since writing this book, because I did idolize many eclectical musical genres from America, from country of Dwight Yorickam, to blues of Stevie Ray Vaughan, yeah. you know, to, to Guadalcanal Diary, Lone Justice. One of my favorite bands, Rinders. Guadalcanal Diary. The, Walking uh, in the
0: shadow of the big man. If people don't know that album, Walking in the shadow. of the Incredible,
1: you know, should, uh, yeah. the, the Windbreakers, Husker do the Replacements, all that stuff. Public Enemy. Um, uh, so I, I worshipped all that stuff. But what I have learned, Brian, is what you're saying—the inverse. Since I've come out with this book, and 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 galleys have gone out. You know, so many people who've read it have come to me and been like, oh my God, you idolized America. I'm like, yes, obviously, it's the central idea around which I've organized my life. And they'll say, oh my God, I grew up in LA and I would have given my. You know, I would have given a kidney to grow up outside of Manchester. I listened to the Smiths, I listened to the Cure, I listened to Joy Division, and I think it is a universal thing, Brian, to romantic. I've only learned this recently, and you're going to be like, yes, obviously. But you, I think, as a kid, you do romanticize that other place, that place you're not. And 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 in my case, it was America. It sang to me like a like the sirens to Odysseus. Uh, I grew up with a mural. I painted it. Uh, I had a, someone paint out on my wall when I was 12, a mural of, a crude mural of the Statue of Liberty, the, the Manhattan skyline. And really, when you look at it in the book, it's a terrible manifestation. It's like a childish painting. Every night I dreamt of moving there. I now live in Manhattan. And ultimately, that was my idea.
0: It's awesome to talk about this because I rarely, rarely talked about this on this podcast. Uh, but you know, the lack of adornment in the way that much of the British music before the Manchester scene came to be, the sort of lack of adornment of the new wave of British heavy metal coming out of the punk scene, post-Sex Pistols, really like the post-punk scene, um, was so appealing to me because the idea that a group like Saxon like a group like Saxon here in America <laughs> would have never, right? Because they were just like blue jeans. And, and you know, here you had those hard rock bands, if you remember that music. It was all about the hair. I mean, I've, I've been reading this oral history, Nothing But A Good Time, which I recommend highly, the LA scene. But when I think about where you, what you grew up in, and it was so much about a lack of adornment and about a lack of glamour. Almost as a selling point. I mean, uh, if we look at the difference between even Maiden, who had like filigree on top of their stuff, but still, Maiden were blue jean guys almost always. And it's so different from what was happening in in this country, which was still about aspiring to a, a glamorous, money filled like the 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 records here were about. Acquisitiveness And the records coming out of You know I think about Denim and leather by Saxon It's quite a simple ambition That those boys in Saxon had You know what I'm saying They just wanted some denim And a leather jacket Yeah Uh, And and so what Because your book is so much about ambition And to me The prevailing ambition Before Oasis And before Blur And before Manchester uh, Before the Mondays And all that shit Was It was almost like Cultural impetus was to ratchet down those amb- ambitions if you were where you were to ratchet down those dreams eh, right it's a very english thing
1: you know i grew up in liverpool which i mean it was a, it was i'm so blessed to be from that city it's a city of romantics and dreamers um, more, i would imagine more storytellers more what they call in liverpool blaggers per square acre than pretty well any other city because we're a port city we look out to sea uh, and we dream of a world that's out there. Um, and the world came in through the port in the heyday. It was one of the busiest ports in the world. It's no coincidence that the Beatles came out of Liverpool. Everything oh, are Ameri- they from Li- <laughs>
0: they're, they're Liverpool? <laughs> everything,
1: I mean... everything American hit Liverpool first, came through that port, rolled off those boats, rock and roll, smashes into Liverpool. The Beatles rise up. Um, at the same time, we're an incredibly local people, an incredibly local people, to the extent that... There was a huge heroin epidemic when I grew up. Unemployment was massive. Uh, The city was really on its knees, as was the whole north. This is post-industrial England. The the, the Newcastle coal pits had shut down, the steel mills in Sheffield, the cotton in Manchester. The whole north had just rotted away or been left to rot by Margaret Thatcher. And so Liverpool had lost its raise on But at the same time, I've got to say, when you didn't think of leaving to go to Manchester, which was 30, 35 minutes away, it was another world. Oh my huh. God, going to Manchester was like walking into a Star Wars cantina. We didn't understand that place, it was so insanely different. London existed in our, you know, far away, dim uh, reality, and only the truly incredible move there.
0: And they often didn't come back, and you never. Saw them again. How old were you when Sean Ryder came to prominence, and 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 E or X, however you everyone called it? Then, like, where, where were you in your life when that whole scene? I first began? saw them when I was
1: seventeen, um, ah. and um, and God, it was. Uh, I mean, it was incredible. That was that was a fascinating time because it was an incredible welling anger. The the England I grew up in, but just before that, which is really the focus of my book, uh, it was an angry time. The, yep. uh, the music was angry. The culture was angry. The football was angry. You know, we go to the football on a Saturday. Um, and you would regularly, we go with my dad regularly walk over broken, bleeding bodies, and you wouldn't even think about it. I mean, just the notion of seeing someone in the street bleeding from their mouth, of course you'd help that person. No,pe that's just football. They'd obviously been beaten up. There were hundreds of them all over the floor by opposing fans. You'd just keep chatting, like, oh, I hope it's going to be a good game today, Dad. And You'd step over some poor, broken human being. And the football was brutal, played by men who mostly looked like they were desperate to get off the field and have a cigarette, a beer and a pie on muddy fields, very unglamorous. And so the first time I saw the NFL, this, inc- this incredible product, this I mean, the Chicago Bears product, um that the super bowl season super bowl 20 it was it was swaggering it was in color the new orleans saints had lost every game why were their fans not rioting they just called themselves the new orleans eights put paper bags on their head drank light beer ate sausage based products had a great time there was a joy that emanated from america we didn't have that in england we had a lot of anger so he took the edge that came a bit later that took the the edge off that anger um, and really took these individuals who, you know, with not a lot of hope, not a lot of options, not a lot of future, and it gave them a lot of joy. It
0: It blissed everybody the fuck out. It was so odd when this joyous music fueled by ecstasy started coming out of there. Let's back up to here. Um, you've talked a bit about the general vibe in in, in Liverpool. All right, all right, well, I have to ask you one thing first. How do you think, then we'll go right into your childhood? I have a bunch of very specific questions <laughs> from the book in your life, but, but it occurs to me, Thatcher's so important in your childhood. Uh, and I just have to know what you thought of the characterization on the crown. How fair was it? How accurate was it? Uh, what really happened with her son? Uh, was that uh, some big... Uh, in fact, was, was that some scam that had to do with profit? and uh, what, what How do you think The Crown handled Thatcher and Thatcherism and that time in England?
1: God, I love you, Brian Koppelman, that you just imply with your question that, of course, I've watched The Crown. The honest truth is, here's the reality. And it's the same about this Harry and um, whatever his half-brothers called, all that stuff. I can't even keep up with that. The royal family. Everyone's like, "What do you think of the, the 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 royal family intrigue?" The honest truth is, I got away from England to get away
0: from that. I can't sure. stand.
1: I can't stand watching well, any of it. it I honestly, won't if watch it,
0: any of the monarchy shit except the Crown, which for me as a television ma- maker is the best television show. It makes I, I find it just
1: too. I can't stand any of it in any way. And my mum, if she's listening, will be shouting at her. Uh, what, I wonder what my mother listens to podcasts on. I have no bloody... She's probably got some podcast radio machine somewhere. But over the fireplace, she'll be shouting she hates that I can't stand the royal family. But I got away from there to get away from all that crap. I really, I mean, the Thatcher stuff is still very painful, what she did to the city, what she did to the country. and Well, and let me ask you this then about
0: Thatcher. What do you think as a storyteller? And look, the way you talk about sport... Is story Your special gift, one of your um, <laughs> many, many gifts, is your ability to weave a narrative through, you know, uh, look, soccer is a game that requires uh, an incredible imagination to talk about it and stay engaged because of the way that you, one has to be able to fill narratives in every time the ball reverses field. Uh, it has to mean more than just, hey, nobody scored again. So uh, you're the way you tell these narratives is incredible. And uh, it makes listening to your podcast fantastic, whether I know what's going on in the world of, uh, you know, football, soccer, or or, or not. It's very kind. But but I would say it seems to me that people like uh, Thatcher, Reagan, Bush, the first one, you know, the, the late horribleness all around the world, how much worse these leaders have been, um, almost makes people reframe people like Thatcher as though they were statespeople as though she were a stateswoman you know uh who did in fact have the in in her heart the best interests of the united kingdom and uh, uh at front of mind right and um and so i wonder if you could just talk cuz it frames your childhood i think i wonder if you could just talk a little bit about what it was like growing up with that person as the figurehead and with that person setting the tone of the way everyone was supposed to think and comport themselves. She was beloved in the South. She, you know, England
1: post-war really spiraled into decline. Um, Still to this day, when I walk into American uh, superstores and uh, shopping uh, supermarkets, I'm like, oh my God, I'm still like shocked every time I see that you have 27 mushrooms here. (laughs) <laughs> Cause in england i grew up with one kind it was canned and like the the reality was england the south if you grew up there the, she did find meaning for the south reinvented it as a financial free market driven i mean you could set billions in london london billions um i've got a good actor for you who could play the star damian lewis um the the the, the she made the south rise again but it was very much at the expense of the north, and and the smarter individuals who write about this, um, then, then, then I, I than I can explain it. But living in the north, living, in, she targeted Liverpool. Liverpool was the target, was the scapegoat too that she held up to the rest of the nation, and she derided it and she isolated it culturally, socially. If you told people from England, uh, they say, "Where are you from?" I'd say Liverpool. They, they always ah, oh, someone's got to be mate. Um, wow. and it it was really to the extent that when I grew up, you know there were riots so the, the, the if you've watched Billy Elliot as an American then you've got a sense yeah. of you've got a sense of the devastation there the the pitch battles between police and minors that went on day after day, thousands of men fight, fighting for their future. So there was just pitch battles all over the north between police and unions and then in Liverpool, uh, the city, there were riots in the heart of the city and every time there were riots in my school, they'd always be like, the rioters are coming and under my breath, everyone would be terrified. I'd always pray that the rioters would come and burn the school down and so it was a it was a wild time of social, political turmoil. But in Liverpool, there was a serious debate in the local council about whether Liverpool should cede from the rest of England and become its own republic. And I, I, always wished that it, I always wished that it had done. To be a card-carrying Liverpool passport holder uh, would have been a remarkable way to adventure through life. It was a dark time. You know, I should say, in the book, uh, I write about how my dad, who was a judge, yes. was probably one of the few Thatcher supporters I don't know if just in Liverpool, probably in the north of England.
0: But he pressed you into service, right? He pressed you into service.
1: Yeah, so we would go and uh, uh, I had to campaign. uh, Although I couldn't stand up, you did what your dad told you. um, And we would drive round on election day in a van just with my dad on a loudspeaker saying, Think once, think twice vote conservative and people would just i i, would they I only pelt let... the car would they pelt the car with uh all sorts Brick. of meat, meat pies and shit uh you know they held the meat pie it was bricks it was it was bags of what i assume which uh um was 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 human piss possibly worse and uh, i mean it was astonishing to to go through and and I, mostly I was astonished at him. Why you would like? There was no way Thatcher was going to get a single vote other than a tiny handful, well. but he still did it. So that was the, that was very much the dislocation um, into the darkness. So you can see when you when you heard, you know, um, Mellencamp, yep. mi- minutes to memories. Oh yeah. When when, when you heard. Um, Born Under Punches, The Talking Heads. When you heard Trey, ultimately, you know, I write a lot about the Beastie Boys, um, Public Enemy and the Beastie Boys, just their approach to life, which was really the pivot between um, between the English music that English people listen to and then, as you say, the the rave culture that followed, just hip-hop coming in was almost a pivot. The Beastie Boys coming to Liverpool is really the climax of the book. It was a show where that lasted famously 10 minutes. Ad Rock was arrested, ended in a riot. And um, and and tear gas, uh, but then Tracy Chapman ultimately is the concluded. Tracy Chapman very much saved me, which indirectly, very indirectly, and you're going to be very modest now because we've had this conversation. You had a small role in, so I'm
0: very grateful to you, bro. Well, it sort of saved me too. Um, yeah, uh, the Billy Elliot thing. I'll tell you, I I had been awake for about two and a half days shooting something uh, in. LA with only coffee to keep me up. My family was on the other coast. I was horribly lonely and missing them and I couldn't sleep. And this one you could see movies at all hours. And I went, having not been able to sleep and been up for days, and I saw the first morning show of Billy Elliott on like a lonely Saturday. (laughs) And I go alone to this theater at the, uh, at the, um, at this mall in, in, in LA. And uh, and I sat there alone in the theater. Maybe there were four of us in the theater. I just fucking weeping at the whole thing. So I really remember the play, the musical, wonderful songs by Elton, but not nearly as good as the experience of seeing Bali. What do you know about Bali? All that shit, just <laughs> fucking amazing. And and all those tough, those tough fucking guys. Oh, He's mate. doing Bali. My, yeah, mate. Uh, can I can't just tell you just. In all standard, that is a
1: that is that is probably top three movies not to watch on a plane, Billy Elliot. Yes, in the, in, in the name of it, also in the name of of the fathers in there. But Billy Elliot, I joke in the beginning of my book, my book, my life is like Billy Elliot. You know, I joke that I was an American born in an Englishman's body, which I've right. actually always believed, Brian. But I, my book really is Billy Elliot without the without the ballet skills and but, America. American soft power. That's the thing. You know, the, the American soft power, American music, American movies, American television, the copies of Rolling Stone that had air freighted out to me. They always arrived seven weeks later. That that was my ballet. That that is what saved me.
0: Well, all right, gonna get I gotta say what's amazing having this conversation is I don't know that I've I don't know that I have it on your show. I ever mentioned it, but like Kerrang, NME, and Sounds and <laughs> were like the thing that mattered the most to me. I would get, I had subscriptions to Kerrang, Sounds, NME, and then later Cute. Like I I would wait and wait. I could still tell you uh like the names of like Ross halfen the photographer, or Malcolm Dome, the writer. Like I fucking remember those dudes and their work mattered so much to me because I could peek into your culture. Like, I never missed a Kerrang! I never fucking missed Sounds or NME. I read them every... You know, they would come in the mail and they'd be late, right? They would come in the mail, as I'm sure yours did. They would come in these manila envelopes and they would be late. And it mattered so much to God, me.
1: you are Alterna, Rodge. I always, I always imagined that there was, like, an American version of me who did, you know, who wore... Um, jimmy z shorts and starter jackets and had sweet sweet reebok pumps and, and a real pair of ray-bans as opposed to just my faux ones and was walking around america doing all the things i couldn't do which was being happy knowing how to talk to uh potential partners and ju- just generally you know smoking mental yeah, cigarettes I, it's, and it's, cools and all that stuff that's so in rolling stone but you are the opposite and i will say that when the, in my neighborhood now i live on the upper west side um, of Manhattan Yes, sir. Uh, in in my neighbourhood, I, I used to always like I lived the one thing I could get over the one thing I can kind of control because the television the Rolling Stone would land and it would have like Michael J. Fox he's the hot summer thing and I knew that this movie called what what was it called was it Back to the Future I knew that wasn't going to come out in England for right. a year so I could then there'd be a picture of Tom Cruise going Top Gun is the and I'd be like oh great I don't know who that is and it's going to take me bloody forever and then there'd be an article about Saturday Night Live is the is and that show could it's be mojo. So, sometimes this I, could be so disappointing, right? Because... I didn't know though. I didn't know what any of them were, but the one thing I could control was the music, uh, and and I'd buy like I'd I'd read every review. I couldn't hear them, but like I'd read a review for a Jason and the Scorchers new album, oh, or yeah. like or like the you know the Long Riders, and it was always written as you remember the photographer. I remember David Frick was like the oh sure of d- just that he just was my guy. If David Frick said something was bloody good, I was special ordering it from England. I'd have a little list. I'd be like Peter Case. I want his Solar album. I want you know. The the replacements on their debut album, and it would come over. I'd slip it into my little red Walkman. It would make me feel as I walked around Liverpool that I was in America. But David Frick now lives in my neighbourhood. He has not changed visually. He's not changed. Since I've seen 70s. him walking
0: around too, but, but he's frozen
1: in time. I just want to hug. I don't go anywhere near him, but I want to hug that man and just be like, "Oh my God, David Frick." Have you, you never? Are, you are why I'm here. I can't, I'm Wait, too nervous, Brian. You can not introduce yourself to him. You he's ne- lovely. You, you never want. You never want. I've got to say, I have met a couple of my the iconic figures. From this book, you know, watching John Hughes movies as if they were documentaries, which uh, uh, you know, I really did study them as if. Ferris Bueller's Day Off came out just after I'd actually summered in the, the northern suburbs of Chicago as a sixteen-year-old, which I write about in the book about meeting the Chicago Bears and all that crap. But um, I had a couple of the, the 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 stars of several of those movies come on my show, and I learned pretty quickly, as you probably have, it's best to leave memories as you imagine them rather than to uh, try and unpack so the writers if- writers
0: and, and music artists are somehow slightly different sometimes and you can in certain doses not be disappointed though i will say when billy bragg followed me on twitter or responded to something <laughs> I, I i didn't i didn't really know what to do with that and how where to put it and how to
1: Childhood Brian was was fist pumping the little well, it's childhood it's just like Brian.
0: it's just like he meant so much to me. It's unlike yeah. I didn't really want to live in England or anything like that. I but I but I did think there was something very real about it, and like that guy's music meant so much to me and taught me so much. was Part of what you talk about, I mean, it taught me so much about a way to look at the world that it was a bit overwhelming that I could engage with him. Roger, what? Where did you fit in in your neighborhood though? Because you so heavily identify with a certain (laughs) part of the world view, but at the same time it feels like you had these twin things going on in your head, which was, I am of this place and this place affects me deeply and there's no running from its mark on my soul. But but because you had this other track running in your head um, about escape, about a possible life for yourself, uh, uh, about America, like, how did you on a day-to-day basis say as a 12 or 13 or 14-year-old, how did you fit in? Like, who were you in your neighborhood? I I had an incredible imagination and I
1: often retreated back into it. It was really fostered early on by my relationship with my grandfather. And the funny thing in life is that the, the blokes I get on with best, it always turns out that they had a really good relationship with their grandparents. I do think that that relationship can be one of the most incredible, nourishing. Uh, Grandmother, grandfather, those relationships um, with kids, one of the most important sets of relationships. My grandfather, uh, Sam, I named my first kid after him, Samson, um, was just an incredibly beautiful bloke. And the family myth, which will go some way to explaining your answer, you know, we never felt that we were of Liverpool because the myth of, the Liverpool Jewish community, and it was true for so many of us. Very true in my family, and you can see over my shoulder on Zoom—that's my grandfather. On my set, I have a photo of my grandfather uh, in his uh, in his Second World War outfit. I have a photo of my my great grandfather Harris in his Russian Army uh, outfit. And and Harris left uh, Ukraine, um, like many millions um, of his generation, probably no doubt chased onto the boat by Cossacks. And the myth of the Liverpool Jewish community, he was a kosher butcher, and he was headed for Chicago, the hog capital of the world. That was the land we were going to go to. And the myth of the Liverpool Jewish community is that my great-grandfather Harris, possibly never met him, but of the lower IQ individuals on the boat, saw the one tall building on the Liverpool skyline when the boat um to refuel and thought he was in New York and got off a stop early. And so instead of going to Chicago and making no doubt in our mind, the family myth millions who would have made millions in the hog capital of the world, he, you know, made pennies in Northwest of England uh, in the kosher meat business. And so America always loomed unbelievably large. In my grandfather's life, he'd fly at every opportunity. This is in the days when you had to have the little tiny treacherous plane land in Iceland and then in Gander and then uh, and then land somewhere in Canada and then finally get to New York. He would come back and he'd, you know, my desk is full of the tchotchkes, the Statue of yeah. Liberty tchotchke, the Empire State tchotchke that he had surrounding him in his Liverpool home. And so we always had you know, bifurcated identities and um, dreamt of America. And when things were dark in our lives, which were often, you know, we'd retreat to this imaginary world and when we weren't in that imaginary world we do you know love football love music everyone in liverpool's funny everyone and their kids until they have the the funniness kicked out of them by the vicissitudes of yeah. life everybody under the age of 20 is unbelievably hilarious and so i think i'd, I'd say there was a duality to my identity all the way that Americanness, where I was was born in me <laughs>
0: Can you describe the way in which you interacted with your peers though because that's all about your interiority so but what was your externality you I mean, pass you, know. you pass you learn to
1: pass I mean the, the, so the, there's an accent in Liverpool a Scouse accent an incredible Scouse accent it sounds like yeah, to outsiders as if the words have been recorded and then they're being played backwards so alright Brian are you looking at me or are you chewing your teeth either way I'm, you, you're chewing a brick either way you're going to lose your teeth it's like it's like complete. it's hey, alright mate it's like um it, it, it's very hard to understand and you would in in school you would uh, without thinking about it wasn't conscious but i'd be on the pl- i'd be on the schoolyard playing football soccer i'd be like hey what are you doing what are you looking at hey fuck off me fuck off yeah you fuck off and then my mum would like honk the horns and pick me up and i just i'd pick my bag up run to the car and be like hello mummy how are you wouldn't even right. think
0: about it Right. So, you, you would you would shapeshift. But because like I was thinking about this in terms of Liverpool and another difference between England and America. It's something Damien Lewis said very early on when we met, uh, when I first met him, was um, success is something that it's OK to be after and to come from in America in a way that it's not in England. Right. And so I wonder how, you know, I was thinking about this thing that McCartney said, I guess, like eight or nine years after Lennon's death when he was asked some question and he wasn't trying to slag off on Lennon but he said you know everyone always said that John was the working class beatle but of course it wasn't true you know he's like uh uh John was middle class or lower middle class i mean he wasn't and and it was a way that McCartney could try to the mere by you know both guys McCartney obviously became a billionaire by winning in business dealings with them and 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 living and uh and yet he still felt that the ultimate sort of not slag on Lenin, but the ultimate way to sort of take Lenin's myth down a peg was to say Lenin was not the working man's Beatles. And what? So uh, you know, there's nothing more Liverpool than a Lennon McCartney uh, squabble. So what does that tell you about where you're from?
1: I mean, it's very English. It's um, ambition is derided, or uh, it was when I grew up. You know, with the class system was so deeply entrenched that. You were mocked for having ideas above your station. Entrepreneurialism took a long time to take root in England. Uh, Having confident ideas was about to be cut down. Still, you see it in the... Right now, our football team uh, is playing in a major tournament, the Euros, and you see it in our footballers. They are quite good. They are very good, but they always deeply underperform. And it's because our own newspapers love to crap on them. They love to cut them down. They almost wallow in defeat. And you see these very talented footballers who are great athletes, elite athletes, but they pull on that England jersey and that England jersey feels like as heavy as chain mail. And um, ultimately, mm. one of the, and the the book is a lot about this, um, about, I had one teacher that went to a public school that was very great, well, private school, you call it in America, the last private school in Liverpool, which was just shambolically hilarious by the time the you know, my dad went there in its heyday of the English empire when it was, you know, jolly cricket and uh, ch- ch- Latin, Greek and ancient history and children being seen and not heard and yeah. join, join, you know, rah, rah, uh, the noble to die for your country. It's the most wonderful death, that kind of thing. And by the time the 80s had rolled around, it was like Grey Gardens. It was just this day, throwback yeah. to an empire. A mansion, that the,
0: empty a mansion with cobwebs everywhere. Yeah. Where, yeah,
1: and a lot of caning and incredible. Yeah. I mean, Americans always find that genuinely shocking when they hear just how common it was to come home just utterly bleeding. And your parents would be like, what's going on? Oh, I got into trouble. Cho- oh, okay. they like, yeah, great. Oh, you got caned. You got smashed up by one of your teeth. Okay. Um, and so, oh, blood so, boiling. So, yeah. so that, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, so that, that was, um, that was England and you didn't want to have ideas above your station. The, the school wanted you so to go So how did bay. you,
0: how did you, what was, what kept your furnace lit? Not just your grandfather, not just, not just the tchotchkes, Roger, what kept your furnace lit? And that it didn't get tamped out to keep this dream alive, do you think? Well,
1: if you watch Irve Villaches, The Plane, The Plane, you watch yeah. Fantasy Island, you watch, jo- oh my God, Jonathan Hart, you watch, you watch David Addison. I, I can't believe more people don't I talk have about to push back.
0: Wait, I have to push back on Fantasy Island. That show was a horrific uh, every uh, there was uh, a terrible fate befell everybody all the time. They were sent back to the old west or somewhere where they had to there were no aspirin and if they gave someone an aspirin then they were uh, accursed. Yeah, but you I didn't mean, watch it, it, you
1: didn't watch people for the rotating cast. You watched it for Irving Village <laughs> and his undying, that's honestly that guy, that guy uh, 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 I I I uh, ju- I, ju- I just I just got sent by my friend Courtney Holt, who actually gave me the name for the book. Um I just got sent uh, Hervé Villache's uh, autobiography I Irve, and it is it is an incredible an incredible piece of writing. I wish my book was half as good. But the, the so you watched it for amazing. Uh, you, you watched it for for that swagger, J- Jonathan Hart, uh, David Addison, uh, moonlighting that model of masculinity. The I mean, this guy was not slick like Don Johnson, but his mouth was a fire hose, and yes. and and it and it was a there was a self confidence there in a way that Duckman didn't have self confidence. But it was a new model of masculinity where you didn't have to look good. You just had to almost stay in charge. So so I took little breadcrumbs out of every you know, public enemy, run DMC. That 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 swagger, that look, that confidence, that joy, that wisdom, that insight. Um and then obviously the Beastie Boys, that Brotherhood, um that for the, that album which coincided with really the kind of peak of my adolescence was faintly audible license to will all over England. They rolled into, uh, they played an eight, right. a, an eight city tour at the tail end of whatever carnage they'd wrecked here, uh, in America. Um, and they just, you know, they starter, they wore starter jackets. We all wanted starter jackets. They, you know, they wore, um, uh, they, they, they snapped off VW, uh, logos. Every single VW in Liverpool was just, was just harvested.
0: And, um, did and, you give I, voice to this? Did you give voice to this to anybody, man? Like, did you give voice to this to any friends of yours? How, yeah. Were you keeping your own counsel? Like, <laughs> how did, you know what I mean?
1: I, I had one, uh, you know, when I got married, um, To an American woman, a great American woman. I had uh, two best men. I had my brother... I mean, Nige, his name's Nige, Nigel. My parents—that's hilarious in its own right. Two Jewish boys—they called them Roger and Nigel, yeah. like the most English names. From but like so out of date, it's like calling your kids Harvey and Malcolm to try <laughs> and fit in. But obviously, yeah. ro- ro- Roger is means. Uh, it means well, look it up. It. Did, I don't think my parents. There was no Google. I'm, and I'm aware of what it thought, means. I'm aware of what it they, means. They, had, they hadn't quite thought that one thing. So, yeah. um, and and then I had my best friend Jamie. Jamie Glassman an incredible human being. And they opened their speech by saying, you know, it was a very easy choice for Roger because I'm his only brother. And Jamie said, and I'm his only friend. And it's true, Jamie, who I've known since zero, uh, we created this imaginary world together and um, we shared it on the NFL. When I fell in love with the Chicago Bears, The 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 NFL was on television in England for an hour a week, but it was a highlight reel of the last week's shows. This is pre-internet. So they'd play an hour a week of NFL highlights, mostly cut in montages to Bonnie Tyler's Holding Out for a Hero. It was genuinely, it was magnificent. To watch it would make your nipples tingle. But you knew that the games had already happened from the next week and it was agonizing. Were the Bears going to complete their perfect season? And so Jamie and I, in Jamie's house, because my dad would have killed me for the phone bill, but Jamie's dad was chill and cool. When the Bears were kicking off, we would just phone random 312 numbers from his house. This is when calling across the Atlantic. Amazing. And we would just phone, and many of your listeners will probably be, Chicagoans who we may have called and I thank you because you would answer in Chicago. You'd be like, hello? And we'd be like, hello, how are the bears doing? And and we would keep Americans on for about 30, 40 minutes giving us our own personal commentary. That's the They'd best. Be like, Walter that is the Peyton's, best. Well, the has got the bears on the drive. And that's how we would follow along. So I shared everything. This one other human being who's really the star of the book and I dedicated it to him. And when I moved here to make my dream real, he moved here with me and so it was it's a story of, of friendship and, and brotherhood and, and dreaming together you can't I don't think is it possible to dream alone
0: well obviously Levine and I have done much the same you know within this right my my best friend since I'm 14 years old and the two of us had this dream together and and I think that we've been able to do it together and I don't know if it, it would have been possible to do uh, alone so I think that's a I completely relate to it What did you picture the course of your life to be, Roger? What was you No, know, like was becoming famous up like, because it's one thing to want to come to America and be a part of all that. But well, I guess, first of all, what was your very first visit to America as a, you know, like a sentient person? What was your first visit and how did it live up to the hype and how did it let you down? But also, when did the ambition develop? To have a voice and to contribute in the way that you contribute, as opposed to just living in America and living a regular American life, because you're a, you live the life of a wealthy celebrity in America. So, how did that all sort of develop in your mind before it actualized? So, it, 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 the short of it is,
1: I, I am a my life is a tribute to good medium-term planning. I'm not a long-term planner. You know, I don't, I, I didn't spend a lot of time. I, I went, I had this Statue of Liberty painted on my wall. Um, every night I would arrange my curtains so the light fell just on Lady Liberty's face. And so it was I mean, the they, they just say, I this, every night. This,
0: this doesn't work. My uh, Sammy, my son, has had the Knicks, his whole room is orange with Knicks uh, logos and the retired numbers of all the great Knicks all over the room. And it has done nothing. For, yeah, but that, that, that
1: sammy has done a huge huge error you can I, I would say any parents listening really my life is a testament to be careful what you allow your kids to put on their bedroom uh, walls uh, but unless unless sammy's violated one of them, unless dolan is involved in that one thing <laughs> 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 in which case uh, in which case those dreams can only be shattered dreams but i uh, I, I, I um yeah, God, I I, I did not. No, so you had the Statue of Liberty on your wall, right? So and- I, I I dreamt of America, but I mean, it really did. It felt I I I when you know I when I would be on the bus and people would be the school bus home and people would be having the shit kicked out of them left and right, and I'd snap my headphones on and I'd listen to minutes to memories, and I'd you know I'm on the uh, on the greyhound at uh, um the song about leaving Jamestown and 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 speaking to an old confidant who told you wisdoms about life, I would imagine I too was on that Greyhound bus and I'd shut out the world around me. But I didn't, I've got to be candid. I never imagined that I could live there. That was not, that was just, it just seemed... Incredible. And then I met an American, a random Chicago, and it happened to be in Liverpool. If you, if it didn't happen to me and I gave you it as a fictional book, you Brian Copman would be like that that scene where the, the random seventeen year old American you just meet him and then start writing to him and he invites you over to Chicago right. for the summer. That seems a bit of a bit of a. Fe- that's why how a kid came Uh, to hang out in the park. I ran into him. God, he happened to be from Chicago. I love Chicago. My family were meant to move. I I spent a couple of days just hanging out with him, taking him to watch Everton Football Club. You know, it was like the greatest days of my life to be a real live American who was mine, 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 who could tell me things like, we all drink pop-off vodka because it comes in a plastic bottle and you can't smash it. I'd be like, oh, good, good to know. And I, um, I, you know, I'd name check everything that I'd learned from John Hughes movies, find out what was real, what was not real. And then we became pen pals, young listeners. That means writing real letters. With 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 you know, I'd send him things from the football, uh, Everton football club. He'd send me back like the Super Bowl shuffle and big foam fingers that said Bears number one. And then he invited me over, so I went over um, at the age of uh, fifteen to um, to Chicago to spend the summer in the northern suburbs the same canvas John Hughes used for his movies for a month and you know it changed my life i did all i can say is when when and two months later uh, Ferris Bueller came out it honestly it wow, was yeah. like watching a documentary of my time there we two went sure. to we went to the bleachers and and drank beers with the, ablum, but the bleacher bums. We went to Pequod Pizza and and Carson's ribs and feasted. We ate that city. We went up the uh, the Sears Tower and and looked down and just were awed by 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 by, by what human kind built. I went to New Trier. Shout out to all your listeners at New Trier High School and just reveled in life at the beach that seemed joyous, optimistic, supportive, and gorgeous. And, you know, I I vowed to come back. I didn't know how. I came right after university. And then ever since then, life has been just about good medium-term planning. Um, And just want to... I came as an... I want to be clear, because when I became an American, the greatest day of my life, and I posted me and my citizenship certificate online, and everyone right in the middle of a culture war, and everyone was so joyous. But I did get a bunch of idiots being like, see, he's done it the right way, the legal way. I want to be clear... I was an illegal alien. I came here, moved right to chicago didn't right. know any didn't know anyone. Just wanted to be here. Saw there was a place called Rogers Park. My name's Roger. I said I'll move there. And just I was a, I was a baker in the morning. I was a I was a librarian in the afternoon. I was a way terrible waiter. And what were you trying to become? What were you um, trying
0: to be? What was your ambition career oh, mate, wise just, at that I just, moment?
1: I just I just wanted I just I was desperate for money. It was dark. It was I had nothing, and it was hard. And um, it is a to, to be in a city on your own um, with no money. But the, the I got over to Chicago. Lived then in those times. I didn't have a dream other than just surviving, and it was bloody hard. And um, life is life is. I mean, I, I I do. Obviously, the book was written at a time last year over the summer of yes. of 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 um, of COVID, of the pandemic, of Black Lives Matter, of the toxicity of the election, um, which obviously um, makes you. If I didn't know already, the American dream um that notion is uh, through through a, i wrote this by the time when america felt chaotic felt divided which is a lot of the reason i wrote i wanted to retrace my steps and re reconfigure uh, that love, but right back then, um, all I wanted to do and it uh, was survive. And what happened next? It was I joke about it. It is like the first half of Scarface, my life, or the or the last scene of Yentl, Brian. It's been, I mean, the fact that you allow bald men on television in this country is huh. is remarkable. But I, I did notice a a gap in the market. I noticed football, this thing I loved, was growing fast, and um, there were a couple of moments. In, in, in my life, when I spotted um, an opportunity, that was one of them. But the, the one thing I want to say is things have definitely changed with me over the past couple of years. Um, you know, the, the, as America did get more divided and more fractious, um, you know, I pivoted um, in my work from uh, just trying to, you know, often we began as a, a brand that made people laugh. And during the last four or five years, I pivoted and realized the world needs more joy. And I wanted, whenever you engage with my content, I wanted you to feel better. I want my audience to feel better about their own lives, wiser, more informed. You know, when we have Aaron Rodgers or we have yes. Jason Isbell or we have DeAndre Hopkins or we'll uh, have Wu-Tang come on the show. I want, a, I want a, as you do, I want to mine the meaning, the life lessons and to offer those up. And so we have pivoted um, and whether it's a footballer that comes on or it's a writer I admire or a, a musician, Tracy Chapman, the one guest that I have not had other than Primo, Levy and Philip Larkin. Those are the big three for me that I still have my guest list that we've not had on. But um, I try and offer Joy. You talk about tone. Joy, I want people to click off, feel better. Joy is a, a rare, all too rare currency, um, I feel. And then the past year since covid um i i did realize almost immediately um when we got into lockdown in new york i've often i was a kid i was always fascinated by churchill's war room and i do believe me too all, it's fascinating
0: all, it's so fascinating
1: yeah it's, but i do believe and i think you share this brian what you do in times of darkness yes. what you do in times of challenge i think that defines you as a human being and so again in tone and then in we really stepped up our work i i over the past 14 months have worked harder done more tried to create more offered more to our audience we we tripled our uh, our output and um and so tone is really important to me and just that regularity is really important to me and and, and as you say using sports really is a way like I mean, my model is Camus, who was a great goalkeeper, and he said, everything you, or is it alleged to have said everything you need to know about the motivations of humanity, you can learn through football. I truly believe that. And by offering all of that on the regs, uh, which I hope this book does, that's really my life motivation. When, when Raj said
0: Camo, I believe he means Camo. Uh, yeah. and, well, Cam-
1: uh, Camus means Camus. Yeah. I believe he means Camus and,
0: uh, uh, I didn't know he was a keeper though. I'm. Uh, I, I would, great ag- keeper. I would agree that Camus is one of these people, I'm so- by the way, you've just done a great, a great service to people be, be, because the stranger by Camus is one of these things that if you haven't read it, it just seems like what a pain in the ass. What a fucking drag to have to read some book by some French guy that's supposed to be philosophical, high literature. But just hear me and Raj, who don't steer you wrong. There is no more entertaining, compelling, important, joyous in its horror book to read than The Stranger. Yeah. It and 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 you must read the book, please. If you do nothing else, buy Roger's book and read it. But also read the fucking Stranger if you haven't. It's really worth it. It's so good. And yep. the plague. The plague is great too. But I would I just.
1: Love, I, I'm hashtag Team The Fool. I love. I love. Um, yeah. I great. love all of it. And, and the that, letters. That, 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 the journals are great too. Don't, but. don't don't settle for listening to the Billy Joe uh, Cliff Notes version. Just get into the Stranger. Revel in it. God, do you think? Right, you're thinking about Oh, st- like eighty years, there'll be a French show where they're like talking about oh, billions. You must watch Copeland; man, he is an amazing. And they'll be like, and uh, Roger Bennett, you must see Roger no, Bennett. No, this is important to in the- watch <laughs> men. In, if you listen to
0: the men in Blazers, because they were not just talking about soccer; <laughs> they were talking about life itself. Listen, no man, this was this. These two men were talking about this. Yes, they had Blazers, but also life. But but Raj. My man, listen, uh, I have to ask you this question. And well, uh, because, you know, the foundational story, your rough childhood, you're able to uh, afford your children this lovely childhood on the Upper West Side. You know, Chris Rock does that great bit about how he grew up hating rich kids and now he has rich kids. And I just wonder how you think about encouraging your children to find the same stores of grit and hope and mission that you found? So I have four kids. Um,
1: and um, and the amazing thing about them, Brian, is they all have American accents, which also genuinely is not a breakfast when we don't sit around the table when I'm like, holy crap, I have American right. children. And um, ultimately, you know, this is my story. Reborn in the USA is my story. And I, I I've always tried to, Approach parenting um, through the lens of, I want my children to be bigger, stronger, taller, better. A lot of dads want to crush their kids at ping pong and like, you know, uh, until they're ready to... I just want them to be better than me in every regard. Um, and so very much I've allowed them to try and define themselves and not wade in my crap. You know, the, the Philip Larkin line about how, um, um, how parents just, they fuck you up, your mum and dad, they fuck you up, they do. They give you all the faults they had and then add some extra just for you. So I try very hard not to like layer on, um uh, my crap to them in any way, shape, or form. I do believe tenacity is the most important human value. I'm very drawn to that. A lot of my work really focuses, talks about tenacity, um, and perseverance. But there there is an there's an amazing moment. Uh recently, my youngest kid wrote a book report and they made them write a faux a faux um uh, author's statement and it said um his name's Oz, named after um um, Ozzy Smith, and he um, he wrote. Um, Ozzy Bennett is a British American, and wow. God, I read that and I was so utterly gobsmacked. Like it's not an identity, a hyphenated identity that I even relate to. I'm like the I I love America more than Kenny Powers loves America. If that's not clear at this point in the podcast, um, I love America like Bruce Springsteen loves America. So I was very gobsmacked, and I think to a large degree, I'm a big believer. They need to. Um, like you can place values in them for in a very very early age. Values of um, of of um, self direction, of decision making, of sage decision making, of empathy. I mean, empathy is the yes is the other value. Tenacity and empathy are the two values I've really tried to um, to offer the kids. But you know what they do and how they feel and their direction and what they want to achieve. Um, I've always been I've always been fairly chill and I'm going to let them go to where exactly where they go to in the same way, ultimately is the greatest thing I've ever done in my life is to, um, is to become American. You know, I I read I t- last week, was it for, for CBS? I got to, they did an amazing thing. They, 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 they got permission from the parks department for us to go out to the Statue of Liberty yeah, amazing. Bef- b- before it opened um, the sun was just coming up. It's quite funny, actually. I thought of you, Brian Copperman, because the, the sun hadn't come up yet when we got on the boat. It was like five o'clock in the morning, and we got the ferry out. And um, I was going to read what I was going to read the opening chapter of my book. And um, I did think about you as we drove off because you see that view at the tip of Manhattan. And I did yes. shoot a little did shoot a little video of myself, which I may or may not have seen, which was a casting video for me for Billions. The beginning of Billions is always no, that. No, did you post uh, that? I did not I, see I, you post yeah, that. Yeah, I, and I didn't post it. Did you send it to me? A, you didn't I, send it to I, me. You know, I don't think I did, but it was just like, I was just like, oh my God, Billions. You should
0: have texted it to me, fucker. Uh, the, I, uh... Uh,
1: and then you head, and then you head to the Statue of Liberty. And I read the beginning of my book, which starts about, how I was uh, reared, uh, born, reared and raised on American soft power, um, and but at the foot of the Statue of Liberty, they shot this, which was the thing that I had very crudely painted on my bedroom wall, and I I, 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 I it was a deeply overwhelming and incredible, uh, incredibly beautiful moment for me. And if I can do that, um, I mean that that's genuinely it's the greatest achievement of my life, and I hope ultimately, Brian. The, in the same way as when I was a kid, my grandfather, we had ancestors photos from from Eastern Europe, as probably many as you do, many of your listeners do. And there was always one, a thick neck bloke that I was fascinated with five generations before us. No one remembered his name yeah. anymore. It's like my great, great, great grandfather. And I'd always say to my grandpa, I'd say, who is that? And he'd be like, don't remember his name. And I'd be like, Why, what did he do? And he'd be like, he's the Cossack killer. He's the one. When the Cossacks used to come for us, <laughs> he <laughs> killed the Cossacks. And so that was the Cossack killer. And all I can say, long answer to your question, all I can say is I hope, like in five or six generations' time, my NBC headshot sits above my descendants' dinner, dining room table, and as their mouths are full, um, someone says who's that dude that bald bloke with the glasses and they keep eating and they point pointed and be like we can't remember his name but he's the one he's the one that brought the family to america
0: well, that is just spectacular and roger this has been inspiring and great there are a couple of takeaways one you told only one lie and that was when you said you were pretty chill <laughs> because that's maybe the most dishonest thing you'll say all year and so we got that here. Uh, yeah. A- and, and two, <laughs> we have not had a rehearsal for Crab Cake Upside in way too long. And Street. I think we need to clear out the basement and get the guys <laughs> together and really uh, begin uh, rehearsing uh, for our next show.
1: Oh, mate, we time to get the band back together. We got to get
0: the band back together. All right, everybody, Roger Bennett, go read. Reborn in the USA, order it on Amazon now, listen to the podcast, watch the TV show. It's it's really Roger Bennett's America and the rest of us are just living in it. You can find him online. You can find me at Brian Koppelman on Twitter. You can uh, email me, themomentbk@gmail.com. at com. If you email me that uh, it's too many Jews on the podcast today, I will send that to Roger to read your full identity on one of his shows. So uh, thanks, everybody.
1: Not not enough Tracy Chapman talk, Brian. But we'll see. That we can do that
0: on your show. Uh, Thanks, everybody. We will see you next time. Thanks a lot. Bye. Courage.